Welcome to Finding Hope, The End to Suffering. Hosted by psychologist, author, and co-founder of the Colorado Institute for Conflict Resolution and Creative Leadership, Dr. Barry Weinhold, with national radio host, award-winning producer, and inspirational speaker, Patricia Raskin. Hi there. Hi, everyone. And hello, Barry, Dr. Barry Weinhold. Hello, Patricia. Great to be back with you again this week and to share the amazing story of Dr. Karen Gedney talking about finding hope, the end to suffering. I mean, this is such a perfect story. Yeah. And her book is uh, uh, very compelling. It it reads like a novel. It's very well written. Mm. And she, excuse me. She had mentioned in our break that they're looking at it to make it into a movie. Into a yeah, which would be very and compelling. Right. Would be a perfect, a perfect story. As I as I read it, I thought about that. This yeah. this could be a movie. From her point of view, rather than yeah, from right. other points of view, right? Right. Yeah, from the a unique point, point of view. view in the book. And yeah, let me share a little bit about Dr. Gedney, um, which we've shared in the other segments, but just uh, for everyone. Dr. Karen Gedney is an internal medicine specialist who in 1987 was the first woman doctor placed in a male medium security prison in Nevada. Against all odds, she stayed three decades and turned this into her calling. She's recognized in both the medical and correctional fields. She won the Heroes for Humanity Award in Nevada and was noted as one of the best in the business by the American Correctional Association. When Dr. Gedney retired from the prison, she became an activist in the in prison reform and in the whole movement and wrote her memoir, 30 Years Behind Bars, Trials of a Prison Doctor. Today, she advocates for prison reform and inspires individuals and groups to become involved in reforming the prison system. Welcome back, Dr. Karen Gedney. Thank you for having me back, Patricia and Barry. Yeah, uh, well, I'm interested in last last segment you told us this horrific story of how an inmate uh, held you hostage and raped you. And, and uh, it uh, must have been a, a life-changing event. And, and the way you reacted initially, uh, because of your childhood and your background, that you had resiliency built into you, actually mm-hmm. probably more than you realized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, when I look at other people, and then I realized, I mean, my mother survived World War II as a, you know, a, an impressionable young girl and early teenager. And uh, when you spend years starving and freezing and being bombed and, mm-hmm. and going through horrendous things, but having the gumption to leave Germany ultimately and somehow make your way to the U.S. with nobody and then start a life in the United States by yourself. That's a different type of female. That's, that's, <laughs> you a, know? that's a pretty good uh, so. foundation to build upon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she had quirks, but you know, she's tough. She's still Quirk. alive. She's like gonna be 92. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. Well, anyway, uh, we're interested now in you sharing a little bit about what happened after this to you, uh, to the prison people that- uh, yeah. Uh, the whole uh, follow-up on the story uh, after the incident. Yeah, and and long-term effects on you. We knew the short-term effects. You got through it. You were resilient, but the long-term effects. 
Well, in terms of physical long-term effects, uh, my hearing certainly took a hit with that concussion grenade. Oh, yeah. uh, so I always hear ringing in my ears to this day because it blew out my eardrums. Uh, and my neck is unhappy because it was like, you know, almost popped off my head. But those are the physical things. The mental things, I would say, if anything, I'm still a little jumpy from unexpected loud noises, right? That, that's like I'm a little bit more jumpy than the average person. And, uh, but besides that, I really, um, I worked through a lot of that trauma in ways that probably most people just wouldn't have done. And Tell us about that. I mean, yeah, yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting because uh, for me, first thing I realized was, um, I mean, I just went back to work and I, I was in shock when I was still went back to work. But one thing that really helped me was uh, the inmates' compassion toward me was something that was juxtaposed to the prison, where the prison really didn't do anything. I mean, number one, you have security, which was marginal, and in a way they are liable and culpable, but they said nothing to me. And, uh, and, and that's not good if you come back into a prison and then the security people and the people that should protect you sort of make believe it like didn't happen. Um, I think they fixed the hole in the wall, you know, when I first walked in to my office, there's still the hole in the wall. There's still blood gushing up. They cleaned up the room a little bit, but there's still a little blood gushing up through the tiles and billet holes and the screens and stuff. So it was, that was like, my heart's going crazy. But the inmates, when they saw me, they wanted to know I was okay. They sent me get well cards. And I want to show you something because I pulled it out when I thought about you guys. And you see this card here? Yeah. All right. This is signed, and I've kept it all these years, because it's signed by 43 lifers, mm -hmm. all the life guys on my yard, men who would never, ever leave prison because they wanted to make sure that I knew that they did not condone, condone what that lifer did. Mm -hmm. Wow. That was right? great yeah, they even wrote like a, one of the guys even wrote an article that ended up in the newspaper uh -huh. um, saying, you know, this is not what we condone. You know, Dr. Gedney helps us. This is not acceptable. Um, but I didn't see any of that from the, the prison side. So the one the inmates helped me. Now, imagine about a year after this event, um, they, I was teaching HIV in those days to new officers and the new officers had heard I had been a hostage. And one of the female officers in that uh, room raised her hand and said, hey, Dr. Gednia, hey, we heard you were a hostage. Can you tell us about that? Now, mind you, not one person in the prison had asked me that. Oh, my. Okay, so now this is a year later. Mm -hmm. Out of my mouth just let's just say I almost vomited on my story to these poor people. <laughs> and, 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 you know, some of the people in there were like shocked or in some were tearing up and crying. I think some never came back. 
Uh, But I was fortunate for this reason in that the training officer who coordinated and watched it happen, C.J. Johnson was his name, and he had been a vet in Vietnam. He was a military guy. And after that, he came up to me and he said, hey, Doc, um, you know, you need to tell that story and they need to hear it because we don't want ever to happen what happened to you, i.e. that there was nothing, you know, after, I mean, the, the, the system did nothing. He said, we have to make sure that doesn't happen. And then what occurred was I was teaching HIV like every three months to the new officer class. And at the end, I threw in the hostage thing. And each time I told the story, it desensitized it for me. Yeah, sure. That's the way to that's the way to heal. Right, right. To get it to get it out. And I think that's for your people who listen. The worst thing for people with any trauma is they repress it and they sit on it and it is their shadow side that never gets addressed and it's gonna come out some way, somehow. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I advocate that for everybody. And also I experienced that myself when I experienced the sudden death of my wife in a skiing accident. And uh, I'm, I just had to talk about it until I was done talking about it, you know? Right. Yeah. And anyone who was willing to listen, I told my story to. But when you when you mentioned that, Barry, like when I retired, um, uh, I my husband and my soulmate for 33 years dropped dead just two years ago, unexpectedly. And and he, you know, he and I are both sort of fitness nuts. You know, he was 76, but still bodybuilding and competing and everything. And after we had worked out in the gym, I went upstairs. He was downstairs. I came back and he was dead. Oh, how tragic. And I reacted the same way in that I ended up in 40 hour, 48 hours straight. I cleaned every single thing of his outside, out the, out of the house. Wow. You see, it was just, it was like a German on steroids or something. And I didn't eat or drink for those 48 hours. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a an enormous uh, task to, to, to. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, but it was. I don't know. It was it, to me. It's like a reflex. Yeah, yeah, and and it certainly stood you well. Yeah. Moment. Yeah. Right. So, how do you take all this, and then say to yourself, you know what? I'm retired now. I'm just going to go you know, travel around the world, but instead, you know, I'm going to be an activist and I'm going to really um, promote prison reform. Talk about that journey, Karen. Yeah, that, that, that was a bit of a strange move for me in that when I retired, I'm not the type of person to just retire and sit back and do nothing. I, I that wouldn't work for me. And, uh, the first thing I did when I retired was I was actually a little undecided because I had a foot in the medical world, which was my world, and a foot in the prison. And they're entirely two different worlds. And now I wasn't in either world. And I was looking at both. So in my first year, 
And because now I was in my 60s, I decided, well, well I'm hearing I'm all the anti-aging world. I'm going to get a degree in anti-aging and regenerative medicine. So that took me a whole year to get certified in that mm -hmm. area. And then during that year, I also decided I have to write a book. It was because over the years, I would journal my thoughts and save stories and write chapters just because I wanted to get it out of me. Mm. And plus all those years, if I would tell someone some stories, because there's a lot of weird stories in the prison, they would always tell me, Karen, you've got to write a book. It was, you've got to write a book. And that was sort of in my mind. And when I left the prison, I realized it's now or never. You know, while everything is fresh, while I have everything around me, all the sources, I've got to put it together. And then that, you know, to put it together, to get someone to look at it, to do the copy line editing and all that Mickey Mouse stuff, you know, took me about a year uh, to do that. And all during that time, my whole reason for writing it was because I wanted the outside world to really see the prison through my eyes uh, and to realize what we're doing doesn't make sense. Karen, how did the prison change the protection? Now, remember, this was this was over 20 years ago that this happened. This is, over, this is like, this is 1987. This is like 30. So probably in today's world, yeah. there would have been security systems in place. So this yeah. wouldn't have happened. Yes. Yeah, the security would have been different. So how how did the prison change after this incident? Well, after the incident, they realized, well, maybe we should make sure if a guy's bringing in a bag, he's not bringing in weapons. So after the incident, they would check people, you know, pat them down and make sure they're not bringing in weapons or, or whatever. Uh, the other thing is that if um, they... If someone was a super high security level, uh, they would be in the exam room with me. Uh, and for example, a death row inmate in their minds is someone who has nothing to lose, right? Uh, if someone has been violent to staff in the past, they don't want that person with me alone, you know? So that changed. Uh, what also changed was me giving talks about um, the hostage, you know, events. So people are aware that the system has to be, to be ready if something like that happens, not mm -hmm. like, well, let's go. We don't know what to do. Right. Barry, I have a question for you about this. How do you see this uh, Dr. Gedney's behavior, how she worked within the system? Where does all this fit for you in terms of, sharing with people how you can find hope. Well, it, it's a perfect example of what this show's all about, is that people can go through horrible things and they can come through those with sometimes with resources they didn't even know they had. And, and then they can find hope. And not only can they find hope, but they usually have a motivation uh, of wanting to give back and to help others so that others don't have to suffer as much as they did. And so I think this, this is a great example of that kind of transformation that, that a, a terrible thing happened to you and it could have gone in lots of different ways, but 
it went a way in which you were able to continue to serve. Mm. And you have, I mean, it just amazes me to hear you talk about the amount of support you had from the mm. inmates themselves. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, and I wanted, I mean, I really wanted the outside world to see that um, compassion, especially where you least expect it, has the greatest impact on you. Right. But that's right. my question. How did you become compassionate? What turned you away from bitterness and anger and just resentment? Well, yeah, there's a little piece there that happened to me uh, probably a couple of weeks after the, no, it was maybe two weeks, let's say two weeks after the event. Um, it was a, like a bit of a slap in the face for me where I got a call that came to my office and usually the prison screens call. So I'm not even quite sure how it got to me, but it was this older woman on the line. Now I didn't know this initially, that older woman was the mother of the inmate who took me hostage. Oh right? my. Mm. Now that's like, <laughs> this is like what I mean about security of that prison. Wow. So, so imagine this lady, you know, I, I pick up the phone and they say, is this Dr. Gidney? Yes. And then she goes, I'm Kenny's mother, because the man's name was Kenneth Miller. I'm Kenny's mother. And oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm glad nothing happened to you. Oh, okay. wow. Okay. Now, here's the thing. So in the paper, like it was all over the newspaper, but because I did not talk to the media and because I did not talk literally to the prison about what happened to me, all what they knew, I was held hostage 10 hours. I got out and I came back to work. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Right. So the outside world, now see the inmates knew because the inmates knew that guy. So they knew, all right, Gedney went through hell. So, um, but the prison, well, so the outside world doesn't know. So when she said, um, I'm glad nothing happened to you, you know, out of my mouth comes, no, nothing except he assaulted me and raped me. It just popped out. Like and what did she say? Yeah. Well, I could hear her, like, she started crying. Uh -huh. And then I realized, oh, my God, Karen, this is a poor mother. Now, why did that pop out of your mouth, right? And it was because I had still anger. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. I, I, and I realized that, okay, Karen, you have to um, forgive everyone. The inmate, you got to forgive custody for maybe wanting you to, you to get killed, uh, whatever. Or, and you know, then I had to remember quotes like, "Never mistake um, what, what is it, uh, inefficiency or stupidity for malice." <laughs> you know, I, I don't remind myself of certain things, but that was a wake-up call for me. And you know, it took a little bit for me to forgive, um, but. I all, but I did it for me, right? For me. That's the only way, only reason why. That's the only way you can really do it, as far as I'm concerned. Right. And, and I think that's a big one for your audience to know that I had to forgive so I didn't get stuck in uh, that ball and chain business of it's always hanging around. 
which is what's helped you, and we'll talk about this next week, to really use prison reform and really be an advocate for prison right. reform because you were able to release that anger and transform it into something else. Right. And see, prisons are really oriented for retribution and revenge. And this is not, this is not how you heal people or societies. Mm -hmm. Barry, any comments about that before we close? Well, I think I'm, I'm really eager to hear Karen talk about her ideas for prison reform because I have, I've, I've studied that some. I've, I've really worked with the whole concept of restorative justice rather yes. than reputative justice. Right. And I think that's where we have to start to Absolutely. keep people out of prison to begin with. And yes. many, many of the laws are set up mostly to be as a reputative system instead of a restorative system. Colorado mm -hmm. leads the nation in terms of, because of some very, very uh, talented and insightful legislators who are into restorative justice and they lead the nation in, in that field. And, and uh, they uh, have uh, instituted that in, at, into law in Colorado. And mm -hmm. obviously it's still a long way from being operationalized in every you know, every situation, but I think it's a start and it's a direction that I hope that we continue and I hope that other states pick it up and that, that, that right. really restorative justice really means just restoring the relationship that was damaged because of the crime. Right. And, and that's what we're going to talk about next week right. with Dr. Karen Getty. We're going to talk about prison reform and talk about how she has found help for herself and others. Um, where are we now in prison reform? Where's the hope? And um, we're very excited to have you on again next week, Dr. Karen Gedney. I'm Patricia Raskin with Dr. Barry Weinholt, who has created this wonderful series called Finding Hope, The End to Suffering. This episode was brought to you by the Colorado Institute for Conflict Resolution and Creative Leadership. Find out more about these resources at weinholds.org. Dr. Weinhold is the author or co-author of 75 books on psychology including his latest book, Get Real, The Hazards of Living Out of Your False Self, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and more. Patricia Raskin is the host of the nationally recognized program, The Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show, and is currently heard on voiceamerica.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. New episodes of Finding Hope, The End to Suffering can be found every Wednesday. If you like the show, Please leave a review and give us a rating. 